I want you to talk a little bit about commercial real estate. That's arguably where prices have been hit harder, certainly by the, the pandemic-related shifts, and a lot of the financing comes from the smaller banks. How does the US commercial real estate situation differ from that of Europe? You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome, everybody. This is Andrew Wilkinson with Interactive Brokers for another weekly podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Jeff Praisman. Welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thank you. And I'm also here with Michael Normile, uh, US economist from the NASDAQ. Uh, huge thanks to Michael for coming along, uh, agreeing to talk on the show today. How are you, Michael? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So today's subject is, Jeff and I were talking earlier on about whether the US economy, or even, I think it's more of, it's more apparent that the global economy is suffering, but whether the US economy is actually really struggling. Has the U.S. banking crisis put a lid on rate increases at the Federal Reserve, do you think? Yeah, I think that's that's safe to say. Uh, you know, prior to the crisis, we had uh, market pricing in a peak rate around five and three quarters, uh, if you're using just the top end of the, the Fed's range. Uh, and, and now it's down to about five and a quarter, which is also where the, where the Fed is at. Uh, and so, you know, that's a pretty significant shift. And, and really what immediately preceded the banking crisis, that's where you had Powell testifying to Congress, talking about 50 basis point rate hikes. And, you know, that that went away pretty quickly there. So we never got to see kind of what the Fed uh, rate projections would have looked like had this not happened. But, you know, now market and the Fed are pretty much aligned at the five and a quarter peak rate. Uh, and, and the Fed also, Chair Powell, in his commentary at the last uh, meeting did mention that he considers, you know, tighter credit conditions akin to a rate hike or more. So that's coming into into play, making up some of that gap between the 575 and the 525. And kind of along those lines, Michael, um, do you think the crisis has had any impact on inflation? And, and sort of where do you see it going if it has over the next, say, couple couple months? I think, unfortunately, it's too soon to tell, really. Uh, a lot of the data that we have is only for March right now. And, you know, when the survey weeks, if they were earlier in March, they might not have fully captured what happened with the um, banking crisis. But, you know, we did get the preliminary PMI data from S&P recently, and, and that showed uh, the input prices rising and prices charged rising, which is a bit of a surprise. You would think that as this crisis, if it restricts credit conditions, then that means less, there's less borrowing, there's less, you know, which will restrict demand, and that would, you know, uh, result in lower inflation. Um, so you would think that maybe what we're seeing from the PMIs isn't the, the best information just yet. So we need to wait until we get, you know, the April CPI in a couple of weeks and, and see some more data. It's just unfortunate we don't really have the, the real-time data that is uh, capturing what's happened with inflation just yet there. So do you think that the, is, is there a downturn in the dollar or, or rather is the downturn in the dollar more pronounced now that yields have stopped, increased, stopped increasing and does that imply anything about the health of the economy? Uh, I think the, I think that's fair. I, I think, um, you know, if you go back to when the dollar was, was strengthening uh, last year, that was when we had, you know, the Fed was much more aggressive than the other uh, advanced economy central banks. And so now the banking crisis has kind of changed that a bit where 
the drop in in rate hikes that are still expected to come is smaller for the Fed than for the ECB, for example. So you get that kind of coming to play. Then on top of that, we have you know the debt ceiling issue in the U.S. that you hear uh, you know, demand for three-month Treasury bills has been reduced, uh, which you know if people are buying that 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 requires you know dollars, and if that demand is reduced, then that at the margin would you know result in some depreciation there. So that all adds up to you know the the dollar losing some strength here, and then. Taking it a step further, if the U.S. falls into recession in the next few months and say the Fed is cutting while other central banks have paused or even still hiking a little bit, that could you know add to that, too. We've been discussing a little bit here about uh, the housing market and, you know, one could make the logical argument that the Fed not putting rates up as much or pausing has actually helped the housing market. We'll, you know, we'll wait and see. But I want you to talk a little bit about commercial real estate. That's arguably where prices have been hit harder certainly by the, the pandemic-related shifts, and then a lot of the financing comes from the smaller banks. How does the U.S. commercial real estate situation differ from that of Europe? Two sides of the same coin, right? Where to the one cent, one, in one sense, lower rates will help the housing market, make it a little cheaper to buy a house, right? But if credit conditions are tighter, it's going to be harder to get a loan. So it's kind of a not clear if it's a, a positive or negative, really more more of a mixed mixed bag there. But then uh, getting back to commercial real estate, the like you mentioned, the the pandemic has hit certain sectors in commercial real estate pretty hard, and and it's important to remember that commercial real estate is a pretty broad term. There's you know offices, retail, data centers, warehouses, so it's pretty pretty broad. So, but if you look at things like offices and retail within that specifically, that's where changes in people's um, work habits, for example, with a lot more remote work, uh, that's that's really negatively impacted the office market in the U.S. So in the U.S., we have a lot fewer people that have returned to office. If you compare that to, to Europe, for example, the vacancy rates in the U.S. are much higher for offices um, compared to, to Europe. And then on top of that, you have uh, the, as we mentioned, you mentioned that the uh, commercial real estate, a lot of the funding in the U.S. comes from small banks. So that's why it's become kind of a, a bit of a point of emphasis in the discussion of the banking crisis here. So it's something like 70% of commercial real estate loans come from small banks, and that accounts for about 40% of loans that uh, small banks make. So it's it's hugely important to these small banks. And if you see that Asset values for these uh, offices are coming down because they're not getting as much rental income. Then interest rates are going up. You know, when it's time to refinance, getting a loan to value ratio that makes sense for banks is going to be harder. So we've already seen some defaults. For example, one de- one company defaulted recently on on a series of Alpus buildings where it had a floating rate on their mortgage. So the monthly payment went from three hundred thousand dollars a year to almost nine hundred thousand dollars a year. Or I'm sorry per month. Uh, and that's that chain was was over a one year time period. Uh, so, you know, essentially tripling the monthly payment uh, in, in that one year time span. And so getting back to Europe where the situation is a little better. So as we discussed already, vacancy rates are lower. Uh, I think a lot of leases in the Nordics are um, inflation indexed. So you get some protection there. And then lastly, the commercial real estate, it's about 7% of bank loans in Europe. So it's, it's just a lot less exposure there, too. Does the central bank response to you know, the U.S. banking crisis, does it impact investor sentiment? And if so, how? It's very important because 
you know, the Fed and the Treasury, FDIC, all made a concerted effort very early on in the banking crisis to calm, you know, depositors in general, but also that impacts investors. So they, you know, created the bank term funding program, which is a new source of liquidity for banks where they can, you know, post their collateral valued at par instead of at market value. And then they, you know, obviously insured all the deposits at uh, the banks that failed and not just the ones that were up to the $250,000 limit there. So there was a really quick move to kind of stabilize things, which, of course, uh, helps investors feel, you know, more more stable, too. And so you've seen, you know, the equity market has actually done pretty well, especially if you exclude the banking sector uh, in, in the last few weeks, despite the potential for, for a crisis there. Of course, the bond market, we saw yields come down, like the two-year treasury went from over 5% to under 4%, I think it's 4.1 or so now. Uh, but those, you know, lower rates could be helping, you know, contributing to why the, the big name tech stocks have done well lately too. And Michael, it's all relative at the end of the day, isn't it? But in your opinion, does, does one region look more favorable in the aftermath of the crisis? Well, Europe has looked better than the US for a while now. If you if you remember the US economy kind of ended 2022 on a bit of a, a weak note, we had negative retail sales growth uh, month on month for November and December, same for industrial production. Inflation was coming down pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden, the data in January was surprisingly strong. And that's that caused some concern you know, with the Fed and that related to why Chair Powell was talking early in March to Congress about doing a 50 basis point rate hike. But since then, the data that we've gotten has come in a lot weaker. Uh, and again, we've got negative retail sales growth, negative manufacturing um, output. It looks like January was kind of a one-off there. Whereas in Europe, they've been getting a tailwind from the decline in energy prices more so. So, you know, you see the PMIs have been picking up there for a while, lower energy prices and and their ability to find new sources of gas and, and cut their natural gas usage as well have really stabilized things there. So it looks like Europe is on a bit more of an upward trajectory right now, uh, more so than the U.S. And then plus it helps not being the epicenter of the banking crisis at the margin. So the Europeans seem to get the added tailwind of uh, supply changes for energy, whereas we, we seem to be stuck with uh, high oil prices over here. We just can't cut a break here. The way to put it, you know, the there was a bit of a where we've benefited from lower natural gas prices and, and still do. And when there was that fire at the uh, natural gas liquefaction plant in Texas a few months ago that took that offline that kept more natural gas within the US, for example, and kept some off the export market. So that, you know, was a bit of a boost for the US in that sense for lower energy prices than than Europe, especially since natural gas has been uh, a huge uh, issue for them uh, recently. But like you said, yeah, the oil prices have been relatively high here, but we have seen that you know, gasoline demand, for example, has been coming down a bit lower. Fascinating discussion. Michael Normile, a US economist with the NASDAQ. Thank you very much for popping in to join us today. We really appreciate that. And Jeff Praisman. Yeah, no, thank you, Michael. It's great uh, conversation. I'm looking forward to our next one. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, everybody, to check out IBKR Campus uh, for all your educational needs. And don't forget to look us up at Traders Insight and IBKRpodcasts.com. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news. 
market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBQR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at IBKR.com.